Father, we love you and thank you for the privilege of being together as uh, friends and brothers. We come together around our, uh, our hunger for you that you created in our heart. We realize had you not sought us, we would never have sought you. So thank you for seeking us. Thank you for making us thirsty because you had some water you wanted to give. And so uh, we've come today to, again, drink from that fountain that flows from your word and flows through your body members. And so uh, let us hear today and would you exalt Christ in our thinking, in our uh, in our choosing, in our words, and in our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Uh, what I want us to talk about today uh, is how the gospel relates to the end times. There have been a few times, like when we were out on the lawn the other day, where I was asked, I only had two minutes, but I was asked, you know, what's your view, which is uh, kind of hard to do in two minutes. I have been, uh, I won't use the word inundated, but I have received several responses this week of people asking me what I think of uh, end times uh, and in light of some recent messages that have been preached. And so uh, I thought I would uh, deal with it as fully as you can in a short amount of time and then Hopefully, it will encourage you to do some study on your own of uh, what does the Bible say about what time we live in and what's about to happen and what what's guaranteed to happen and what are we speculating about and whatever. Uh, the uh, let me just say that for those who would disagree with what I'm about to say with you today, I have I have respect. Uh, you can come to different conclusions about uh, the details of what's happening in the future. Uh, there, there are two or three things that are important. One, one is there's a division or there's a distinction between those who do not receive the Bible as God's authoritative word. Uh, those who don't do that are... Uh, that they found another source for their authority. They're, they're looking to science or man's reason or whatever uh, tradition. But among those who would say, uh, we believe the Bible is the, the authoritative word of God and that it is, it is uh, our guide to help us come to the living word so that our lives can be ordered by the Lord of creation and the Lord of, of all. Uh, even among those who would say we believe in the inspiration of Scripture and the authority of Scripture, there are disagreements about how to interpret it. So the issue is not authority here as much as interpretation. Uh, the interpretation of Scripture is, is a challenge because the Scripture is written, has been written over thousands of years or was written over a long period of time, centuries, where and written by different people at different points in history and was written in different genres. So uh, trying to determine what was God saying to the people of that day that is still relevant to us today and how did he say it through the genre of scripture that he used? Genres being, there's, there's uh, his, history, there's prophecy, there's p- 
poetic or wisdom literature. Uh, there's gospel, there's biography, there are letters, there's apocalyptic literature. There, there are many kinds of uh, literature that are, that's part of the collection in scripture. And uh, when people have gone to the scripture, oftentimes without an understanding of how to interpret it contextually, that is in light of the context, both historical and grammatical, as it relates to the literature, then there have been all kinds of conclusions uh, that have come to, into being. Uh, on top of that, there is a human curiosity to know what the end is going to be like. Uh, the uh, I, I've often thought about it. I, I don't know what pushes that. I'm not really sure. We don't seem to be so obsessed about the end of our lives and what that's going to be like. I mean, I've thought about it like, am I going to die in bed? Am I going to die, you know, in a car accident? Am I, you, know, you know, I'd like to die in the pulpit, but not today. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I don't know that I get to choose that. Uh, in fact, I'm pretty sure I don't. Uh, but I don't obsess about that. I don't think about it. Okay, what's, going to be, what's the end the last few minutes of my life, what it's going to be like. We don't obsess about that. A lot of people just totally deny the fact they're going to die because they don't make any preparation. So, so why is there obsession about the end of time? Well, I, I, some of it's got to be selfish. Some of it has to be, I want to know what's going to happen so I can get out of here or so I can be best prepared to handle it and uh, so I can uh, escape the worst, so I can make it the very best possible so some of it has got to be a, a self-survival type thing. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just know that there's a lot of curiosity about the end. I know I was pastoring a Baptist church in the 70s in North Fort Worth when, uh, when the Jesus movement hit, hit this part of the world. And we were seeing kids saved and baptized in swimming pools and having Bible studies everywhere. And everybody, every kid that got saved wanted to read the book of Revelation first. You know, there might be a reason it's at the end. We might ought to read a couple of more before we get there. You know, <laughs> to start there and to try to understand the most difficult kind of literature in the Bible, which is apocalyptic, uh, prophetic, uh, and, and to read the end of the chapter, the, the last chapter in the book, before you know what the book's about. It wasn't all that smart, but, you know, curiosity and... You know, and it didn't help that uh, uh, late great planet Earth had just come out back in those days, and that gave everybody a scenario. Everybody that, you know, and so, anyway, uh, lots of speculation about what does the Bible say about the end of time. Uh, there, uh, though, there can be respected differences amongst those who would go with that, I, I think the, the thing that we cannot ignore and that we must demand that everybody who, who deals with it from a biblical point of view concludes is that the book is about the Word of God and the Word of God is Jesus. So any interpretation of Scripture that takes Jesus off the center and out of the place of exaltation is uh, at best an errant 
way of looking at, at the scripture. If you obsess with death or if you obsess with Israel or if you obsess with rapture or if you obsess with battles or Armageddon, if you obsess with, with anything that takes the focus off Jesus, then uh, you need to be very, very careful. Uh, the, uh, some, of, uh, some of the recent, well, it hadn't been recent, but recently has, been, has popped up again. But it's been a, a long time coming, a long time promoted has been the idea of, you know, what's happening in, uh, in, the, in the Middle East right now and with Iran and with Russia and Syria and ISIS and the, the agreement that uh, the United States and several other nations are trying to make with Iran and uh, the two-state deal with Palestinians and all that kind of stuff and the tendency to try to find a scripture that can tell you what's happening in the middle of this confusing situation uh, has led to some speculative, some speculative things. So, uh, so I just want to jump into it and talk talk about it, and then maybe we'll have some time to discuss it. Uh, interesting text over in Second Kings chapter twenty. Story of Hezekiah. Remember that Hezekiah was one of the uh, one of the kings of Israel. Twenty, Second Kings, chapter twenty. Hezekiah was about to die. He prayed, and God gave him longer life. And he uh, he took these emissaries from Babylon and showed them all the treasures of the house and. Uh, well, let me just read it. If you're there, Second Kings chapter twenty, verse twelve. Uh, at that time, Merodach, Baladan, the son of Baladan, king of Babylon, sent envoys with letters and a present to Hezekiah, for he heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And Hezekiah welcomed them and showed them all his his treasure house, the silver and the gold and spices, precious oils, armor, all that was found in his storehouse. And there was nothing in his house or in all of his realm that Hezekiah did not show them. Then Isaiah the prophet came to King Hezekiah and said to him, What did these men say? And from where did they come to you? And Hezekiah said, They've come from a far country, from Babylon. He said, What, what have they seen in your house? And Hezekiah said, They've seen all this in my house. There's nothing in my storehouse I didn't show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which is your father's has stored up unto this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord. And some of your own sons who shall be born to you shall be taken away, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Then, said, then said Hezekiah to Isaiah, The word of the Lord that you've spoken is good. For he thought, Why not if there will be peace and security in my days? So here, here's the prophet saying to Hezekiah, Okay, you showed Babylon all your stuff. I'm going to tell you, they're going to get it all. And not only that, they're going to get all your treasure, and they're going to take your kids, and they're going to make eunuchs out of your boys, and they're going to make slaves out of your children. And Hezekiah's response was, well, at least I won't be here. Uh, any kind of eschatology that leads to that conclusion needs to be addressed and seriously evaluated. And uh, I fear that, that that kind of mentality has 
grip the hearts of many. Uh, I, I'm concerned about my day, but not about the day of my grandchildren, my the generations that come up. Uh, do I have any responsibility for all of that? So, uh, in light of trying to confront that conclusion, uh, I just want to make some comments generally about eschatology and why it matters. Uh, the the view that uh, there is an imminent rapture about to take place, imminent in like in the next few years, and that uh, then the great tribulation will start and, and so forth. But that we are going to be taken out, and we won't have to go through the tough times. And uh, the world is getting worse and worse and does not deserve to be inhabited by us. Uh, and that we are looking to God to get us out of here uh, seems to me to be a, a detrimental and uh, a destructive view of, of time, uh, of the gospel. And so uh, those who would say... I don't know why even you want to address eschatology because it is so divisive and it's not important anyway. Who cares if it's premillennial, postmillennial, you know, panmillennial, all that kind of stuff. Uh, and I just, I just want to say that it matters a great deal. It matters because how you view where we live and what God has done at the cross and how much of the victory that Jesus bought at the cross is available to us today and how much of it is for heaven, what you think about that, uh, how you view that, will determine how you make your daily choices. It will determine how you raise your children. It will determine how you handle your money. It will determine how you invo involve yourself in culture. Uh, are, are you an agent of change or, or are you out of here? And so... Uh, so it is important. The, the gospel is eschatological. The word eschatology means the study of the end or the goal or the, or the final stuff. Now, since the gospel declares that Jesus is the fulfillment of previous prophecies, predictions, and so forth, then the gospel itself is eschatological. You cannot deal with the gospel without dealing with eschatology. What, what people usually mean, though, is that we don't want to get involved in all the details. You know, I hear people making statements like, well, God didn't put me on the planning committee. I'm just on the welcoming committee. Well, that's cute. But uh, none of us were on the planning committee. God, God worked all that out. But it is important for us to deal with uh, what, what is truth for us today. Uh, you know, recently somebody... Thought, I guess they thought this was the first time it had ever been thought about. They said, I'm neither premillennial, postmillennial, millennial, I'm panmillennial. Well, that's old. That's an old, old joke. What they're saying, I believe everything's going to pan out all right. What they mean, what I hear them saying in that is, I wash my hands of it. I have nothing to do with it. It's not important. It'll, it'll work out. I'm, you know, I'm just going to make a living and do my thing here. Well, uh, there's more to the gospel than you just turning that over it is important for us to interpret uh, 
what has, what has done, God done at the cross through Jesus Christ? What was made available to his people as a result of that? Who are the people of God? How does the Old Testament relate to the New Testament as it regards to the promises and prophecies of God? Uh, how much can we expect of the kingdom of God now and how much of it is reserved to a, uh, a future time? Uh, what does that future time look like? Those are important questions. Uh, and as I said, because there is disagreement in it, there needs to be respect among those who disagree with the effort to say, let's try to hear God together so that we can equip people to be ready to live in this world that was not promised to be nice and comfortable the whole time. The whole idea that we have of there's a tribulation coming that uh, is going to be tough for us is somewhat an evidence that we have lived in a capsule of comfort and we, we don't... <laughs> We're talking about a possible terrible time coming. Talk to most of the Christians who lived in history. It was a terrible time. Talk to, talk to people right now getting their heads cut off because they're, they're believers, and they would tell you it's pretty tributary right now. Uh, talk of the martyrs. And Jesus said to his disciples, I'm telling you this, and there's going to come a time when you'll be brought before kings and, and and, and there's there going to come a time when they will hate you for my name's sake. And the very fact that we're saying, well, there may come a time when it gets hard, means that we've been living in a capsule of God's mercy and grace and have no really understanding of how the whole kingdom affects the whole rest of the world. We think like comfortable Westerners. So uh, the... Uh, This whole idea that the that the world is a dirty, wicked, rotten place that does not deserve us to inhabit it, and that we should try to get out of here as quick as possible, is not a position that I I can take if I read the scripture anywhere close to the right. So, uh, what I would think was right. Uh, so, let's. Uh, Let's talk about uh, several things here. How, how do you read Scripture? Well, a Scripture is a narrative. It's, uh, it's God's perspective on history. Uh, and his perspective on history as he uh, not only observed it, but created it and orchestrated it is he gives us a history looking through the eyes of a people that he chose to be his instrument on the earth, and that is Israel. Uh, not everybody in the New Test Old Testament was a Jew. There were no Jews until Abraham came along. Uh, and so, but, but God's promise to Abraham began to put into motion a plan a fulfillment of a promise that he made to him that in Abraham he was going to reverse the curse that had come upon all of creation through Adam's choice and that God was going to do that through Abraham's seed. And so the story starts off with 
Abraham's two, two kids, Isaac, Ishmael. You know the story. God made him a promise. It took a long time. He began to doubt, so he produced an Ishmael. Ishmael was given by God a, to be the seed of a nation. Uh, some would say that Israel is the only nation God ever created. That's actually not true. Uh, God created the nations of Ishmael because he said, I'll make a covenant with him and he will be a lot of... Uh, the, the, the truth is, in Acts 17, when Paul was preaching at uh, the Areopagus on Mars Hill, he said that God has set the boundaries of all nations. So all nations have a destiny in God. But God chose Israel to be his instrument through which he would bring about the fulfillment of his promise to reverse the curse that had come upon all of creation through Adam's choice. The, the Old Testament is filled with shadows, types, uh, predictions, promises. It was looking forward to something that would happen in the future. When Adam and Eve sinned, their eyes to see the spiritual were affected, and so they became focused on the natural. So God in his mercy came to the natural and began revealing himself in the natural. So he says to Abraham, I'm going to give you a seed, a natural seed, Isaac. It'll be miraculous, whatever, but I'm going to deal with that. Now that's pointing to something greater. There is going to come a seed that's bigger than Isaac. I'm going to give you a land. That land is a place where I meet with you and you meet with me. It is a, a land of my presence. All the other religions and nations in the world had their gods and their land and their boundaries. And so God said, I will come to your understanding level. I will give you a land. It will give you an identity. It will have boundaries. That's yours. That's where I meet with you. And the center of that land later became the temple. The temple was a place where God met with man his people in the land that he had given to them. And uh, the, the temple was the most important piece of land and the Holy of Holies was the most important piece of the temple. So you start from the center. The Holy of Holies is the holy place and then there's the, is the holy, holy place and then there's the holy place and then there's the other place and then there's the whole temple and then there's Jerusalem and then after Jerusalem there's Israel. And so... That was important to them to understand we have our own God. We have a God who fights for us, who makes covenant with us, who, uh, who provides for us. We're, we, we've got everything any other nation would have. And so God came to the natural level to reveal himself to Israel. But all of that was pointing toward another day when there would be a new creation, when there would be a, uh, a people of God who were not defined by natural things like boundaries around land, rivers and seas, uh, that, that this, this new Isaac, through his sacrifice, would buy the whole world. And the whole thing would be the holy land of God. And that, uh, and that there wouldn't be just a temple in one little old piece of land on one part of the earth, but but the, the temple would be in the body of Christ that was going throughout everywhere, and therefore the temple would invade the whole world so that the whole world becomes the promised land of God. And that the law God gave to uh, Moses later on in the story, the law that God gave to him would be taken off stone and written in the hearts of men, and that men, 
in the power of the Holy Spirit could live out the ultimate ramifications of that law where they actually could love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, their strength, and their neighbors and self. And so the Old Testament is written in a preparatory, uh, in a preparatory stance, preparing for a day that's fuller, which came when Jesus Christ came as the, the ultimate Isaac, the one promised, the seed of Abraham, who came as the inheritance of his people, not just land, but the very presence of God in Jesus Christ, who became the temple. Jesus said, if you destroy this temple, uh, I'll, I'll rebuild it in three days. He's talking about his body. He was the ultimate temple, and then he made us the temple. And so if you get caught up in trying to understand the Old Testament without understanding its nature is preparatory and progressive. It was progressive in that God was revealing himself, but he got fuller and fuller in his revelation until finally the fullest word of God came. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. In previous times and in different ways, God has spoken to us through the prophets and many other ways. But in these last times, he has spoken to us fully, absolutely, completely, without anything left over in his son, Jesus Christ. And the whole book of, of Hebrews is about how everything in the Old Testament, that, well, about how all the shadows and the types and the prophecies and whatever were fulfilled in Christ. So uh, it, it's, uh, you can easily get uh, confused if you simply go to the scripture and you don't understand that the old was written as preparatory, progressive, preparing for Jesus and the, and the, the New Testament is the fulfillment, and then as as we see that, then we live our lives in light of the, the fullest revelation of God. So, uh, the three pillars of uh, Jewish thought and Jewish identity were these. I just mentioned them, but if you're going to take notes, I'll give them to you. Three pillars that were shadows pointing toward a substance were Israel as a nation being the sons of Abraham. Who are the people of God? Sons of Abraham. Uh, so that, that was pointing toward a day when God would have a people. And he makes very clear in the book of Galatians that when that preparation progression came to fruition, that people of God are the sons of Abraham by faith. In other words, it was Abraham's faith that made sons, not his bloodline. And so uh, when, when you don't get that, you know, you'll hang on to shadows and you'll still define the people of God in terms of a political entity, uh, the, 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 the physical uh, bloodline of uh, Abraham and whatever. Uh, and still today, there is so, so much discussion about Israel and trying to identify Israel. Well, the Israel that is in existence today in the Mideast is not an Old Testament Israel. Uh, that Israel was destroyed. Uh, the temple was destroyed. The city was plowed under. Uh, the, uh, the records of who was in what, what tribe was gone. The ten tribes have been lost. Uh, the uh, that 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 was uh, that was gone. The Israel that is existence today is a political entity uh, 
that was uh, created in 1948 when uh, the world government came to recognize that there was a place and that Jewish people could come and live there. Uh, I think... I think it is a fallacy to try to apply Old Testament prophecies to this Israel. Uh, Old Testament prophecies to Israel. Well, let's just talk about prophecy for a second. Prophecy in the Old Testament was God's messengers who were illuminating, explaining the covenant, the covenants that God had made with man. Prophets had no authority to speak other than on the basis of the covenant God had made. God made messages that illuminated, explained his covenant. Uh, God is not in covenant with today's Israel. There's no covenant there. If there were, they are all living in, in, not all of them, but the great majority is living in violation of it. There is no place in the Old Testament where God promised to bless a covenant-breaking people. Israel today, the political Israel that we know are there, the, the, the leadership, the great majority of the people are living in a denial of God, uh, in no covenant with God. And, and so uh, there, 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 there are lots of reasons why it's fallacious to identify present Israel with the Israel of the Old Testament. The... the uh, so when you start getting into, you know, we've got to bless Israel and uh, the United States has got to support Israel and whatever. Uh, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm a supporter of Israel because I believe they're our political allies in a very dangerous situation. And we've made promises to them that we should keep. And, uh, but, but not because they're Old Testament Israel. Uh, so... Once you, once you don't make that delineation, once you, you consider today's present Israel as the same one of the Old Testament, you're, you're into a, uh, to a lots of, uh, I, I think, possible misunderstanding and speculation. And uh, so the, uh, the nature of prophecy, prophecy, as I said, is God's messenger speaking to his people to help them understand the covenant that's in view at that time. So when a, a prophet would speak to Israel, northern kingdom or southern kingdom, and say, okay, you're violating the covenant of God, and if you do, these things are going to happen to you. Uh, and they would lay out warnings. Sometimes a prophet would come and go, you want to know why this has happened to you? You violated the covenant of God. He promised that he would do this if that happened. Therefore, this has happened. Uh, the prophets of exile began to say, look, you violated the promise. Uh, you didn't live up to covenant stuff. Your, your captivity is a result of that. Uh, but I do want to remind you that God is uh, bigger than your mind and that he does have restoration in mind. And so those prophets spoke in a way that the people of that day would understand that God was going to restore his people. They were expecting it to be political, geopolitical, uh, whatever. When it happened in the New Testament, he restored his people not by rebuilding the temple, but by being the temple himself. He, he is the temple. And he rebuilt the temple by making people the building blocks. And uh, 
he, there, there's no more sacrifice to be made at the altar because Jesus is the sacrifice. There's no more lambs to be inspected. Jesus was, was and is the lamb. There, there's no more kingdom to come. He is the king and he already has come. And, and, and so uh, the, uh, the prophets spoke in a language that the people would understand, but it was always, always covenant related. They had no authority to speak apart from the covenant that had been made with God. Now, I ask you today, what covenant are we under? We are not under the Mosaic covenant. We are under the new covenant where Jesus has come as our representative. He did what humanity was required to do. He did what Israel was required to do, live up to the, to the laws of God. As Israel and as Adam, Jesus came and made covenant with holy God. And when he did, the covenant was fulfilled. Now, if you are in Christ, you are living in a new covenant where all the stipulations have already been fulfilled and all the punishments have already been paid. Now, you get to live in light of that. And if a prophet is going to prophesy to God's people today, he needs to prophesy on the basis of that covenant. To go back and prophesy on the basis of an old covenant is to misread Scripture and to misunderstand the nature of prophecy. Okay, y'all looking like you've been hit in the face. Okay. So... Uh, Uh, well, all I say about that is I'm not saying that there are not people who can predict future things and people of God can do it and there are people of Satan can do it. Uh, but I, I will say this. Prophecy, the purpose of prophecy is not to tantalize you with someone's superior ability to see into the future and to get you all curious about it. Prophecy is not about random events in history to show you that God knows everything. Jesus came to show you that God knows everything and that he anticipated our need and he he satisfied it in in the cross. So prophecy is not about random events. Oh, somebody prophesied that this was going to happen, this storm was going to come. Well, whoop-de-doo, okay? I'm not saying that that can't happen. I'm saying that is not the purpose of biblical prophecy. Thank you. so if, if you're hearing prophecy from individuals about events that are going to happen, um, discernment of spirits is really important. Yes, there are some who are saying things that, that are valuable and, and there are some that, are, that aren't. Uh, so, so the whole issue of the people of God being the people of Abraham's faith, the sons of Abraham, and that, that's made up of Jews and Gentiles who come to faith in Christ. That, that is the substance of the people of God. Now, the second pillar was the law. The law was given to Moses and the people of Israel to show how life is to be lived, and it was a part of the covenant. It was a part of God's covenant with them. God said, I have acted in your behalf. I brought you out of, Israel, uh, out of Egypt. I have made you a people. I'm entering into covenant with you, and here is what you need to do to 
to live in that covenant. Here's what our life together would look like. So he gave them the law. Now, uh, so the law is good. The law took everything that was in creation that reflected God's order and put it in scripturated form and put it, put it, put it down so you could read it. But that law pointed to a, a greater lawgiver and a greater law, which is Jesus, the great lawgiver, and the law is the Holy Spirit living inside of you, written on your heart, where the, whole, where the love of God is poured in your heart, and when love is expressed, it will always be greater than the law. Uh, you don't have to tell a man who's in love with someone not to kill him. You just don't have to. I mean, you can if you want to, but it's wasted breath. Uh, so, so the law is fulfilled in Christ. The third thing is the temple. The temple was very, very important, as I said earlier, because it represented the holy place on earth where God met with his people. Uh, where does God meet with his people today? Well, he meets with his people in, inside their hearts because Jesus sitting at the right hand of the Father, he and the Father sent the Holy Spirit to live inside of us so that we can know God as Jesus knows the Father. So uh, if you don't, if you mess up on those shadows, in, in other words, if you hang on to the shadow while downplaying or not giving adequate significance to the substance, then you're going to wind up with some uh, some different kind of thinking, and you'll be caught up in all kind of all kind of stuff. So uh, I would encourage you. I'm running out of time here, but I would encourage you. Don't get so worked up about the blood moons and all of that kind of stuff. That, that, that None of that is biblical revelation. All that is speculation based on speculation. Uh, don't, don't get so worked up about whatever's, whatever political things are happening at any particular time. And for those who are setting dates, uh, I know that, that there, there's a lot of date setting going on while denying date setting. Uh, it's not uncommon for somebody to go, now, I'm not a date setter, but I'm just doing the math. And uh, Jesus said that in this generation, the generation that saw certain signs, that in that generation, the, the end would come. And so the sign is that Israel became a nation in 1948. So we're going to make a generation. Well, Hal Lindsey said 40 years. So he predicted, he said, I'm not setting a date, but 1988 is the end of that time. So, okay. Uh, now people are saying, well, 70 years is the, is the generation because the Bible says, you know, you, you got 70, maybe 80. Well, you live longer. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> just, uh, taking a scripture that, and, and saying, okay, so I'm not setting dates, but probably 2018 is the deal or 28 or whatever. Uh, you don't need all that. Uh, bottom line is this. Uh, I didn't get to finish my whole thing here. Uh, The in, in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, all of these are passages that relate to the time when the disciples asked Jesus, when are these things going to happen and when will be the time of your coming and so forth? They asked those questions in response to something Jesus said. They had, they had pointed out the temple and the beautiful buildings that Herod had finally finished and it was some fantastic thing. The temple that Herod finally finished in the time of Jesus was, was a world wonder. 
And they were really proud of it and had every right to be. But they had made the temple the issue and not, not, not God. And so Jesus said, so you're impressed with the temple, are you? I'm telling you, not one stone be left on another. It's going to be plowed under. It's going to be destroyed, the whole city. This was a shocking statement. So they went outside the city, and, they, and so they said, when is that going to happen? Now, according to who you're reading, Matthew, Luke, or, or Mark, how extensive that question was. They said, when are these things going to happen? When is it going to be the sign of the end of the age? When, when are you coming? Now, were they asking more than one question or one question? Well, now you can debate that. Uh, if I had been one of the disciples, I would not have been thinking about 2,000 years from now. I, I, I would have said, are you serious? When is that going to happen? And I would have used any words I could to try to get that. And so Jesus said in Matthew 24, okay, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen up until that moment. And so he gave all these signs that they could be watching for prior to the destruction of the temple. That happened in 70 AD. From 67 to 70, Rome laid siege to, to Israel, to Jerusalem. And in 70, it fell. And it was atrocious. It was atrocious what had happened. The tribulation of those days was unbelievable. And so those signs were pointing toward something that has already happened in our lives. It was future for them because Jesus was speaking somewhere around 30, 30 to 33. That happened in 70. It was future to them, but it's past to us. Now, some would say, well, yeah, but there's a kind of a double fulfillment. Those signs will happen again before he comes again. Maybe, but he didn't say that. That won't be, that's not revelation. That's not interpreting scripture. That is speculating on the basis of, okay, it could happen then and it could, those same kind of signs could happen before he comes again in, uh, in, his, in his final appearance. Uh, but uh, to get all caught up in watching for signs is, uh, is, is to waste a lot of good time. Uh, the, the, the end of the story is that Jesus has fulfilled the shadows, the types, the prophecies, the promises, predictions of the Old Testament. He's fulfilled them in himself, and he has created a people on this earth who have, uh, who have access to him, who have access to the Father that Jesus himself had. This is unprecedented. Uh, this, this is going back to, to Adam, but even greater. Uh, we, we have more access to God than Adam did. Well, I, I can't get in on it. And uh, we have been given the mission that Jesus came to the earth to do. He has let us participate in his mission. Just like he let Adam participate in cultivating the garden and taking that garden and making it fruitful... He has let us participate in the garden, the garden of redemption, the garden of taking the gospel, exhibiting the gospel to all parts of the world, to, uh, to being salt and light in the earth, to, uh, to exhibiting the superiority of a life focused on Christ, even in persecution and suffering, so that our joy is more than circumstantial and our happiness is greater than our comfort and convenience. 
and that we are put here, yes, to suffer, maybe to be persecuted, maybe to be martyred. It really doesn't matter because nothing can separate us from the love of God. Can height or depth or anything present or anything to come, can demons or angels or anything separate us from the love of God, said Paul. No, nothing. And so it doesn't really matter what's, what, what the enemy may throw at us. We have a victory inside of us. But while we're here, we are to, in honor of our king, we are to try to occupy everything that Jesus bought and paid for in his death. What did he buy back? What did he redeem when he died? What of, what of the fall of Adam and the fall of creation did Jesus redeem? And how much of it can we affect and infect while we're here? That's where you should spend your time. So to answer your question, I don't read prophecies on the Internet, and I, I'm not interested in the super signs or the signs or somebody trying to make the Bible relevant to me by saying that the Bible is talking about something that's going on in Iran. The Bible's talking about something that's going on in heaven and on earth, and it's, it's the gospel. It's about Jesus and his people on the earth who are are living out his purpose. So Amen. there you go. There's eschatology in brief. And uh, I'm sure that an effort to make it brief, I've misstated some things or didn't do, uh, do justice to us. But uh, men, you, you just don't, don't, don't buy into anybody who's trying to get you out of here. God's not trying to get you to heaven. He's trying to get heaven through you on the earth. And he's put you in a garden and he, he's given, whoa, and he's, he's given, uh, he's given you everything you need to do to get that done. So, uh, so, so, so focus on Christ, rejoice in Christ. Why, why do, why would any of us want to focus on us when we could be focused on someone so much greater? Why, why would we be focused on, uh, what Iran is doing or Israel is doing or the UN is doing will be focused on what God already has done in Christ and that we are, we are finding out and we can live it out. So uh, instead of getting out, get involved. Yes? I'm going back to the scriptures that he left and ascended into the heavens. It was said he'll come back in some way. So there is a return eventually of Jesus as I understand it, but you're saying don't worry about the time, worry about keeping your focus on it. If I understand in some way. Yeah. What are you talking about? Holy Spirit. He, he came back in the Holy Spirit. I do think he's coming back to conclude things. But he's coming back to be celebrated for what he's done, not in order to do the job he gave us to do. Uh, this whole idea of it's going to get so bad bad that we can't do our job, so God's taking us out of here. Uh, I, I don't think, I, I don't agree with that. I think the Holy Spirit is fully capable of doing what, what God sent us to do in, in, the, in the church. And when Jesus comes back, he will come back to be celebrated as the king who did all of this, and it, it will be a conclusion. So he's not coming back to do our work. He's coming back to be celebrated as the king he already is. He's not coming back to be made king. He already is king. He's coming back to be celebrated. So uh, now you've heard me say in here before, some of you who've been here, 
When Jesus comes back the last time, it's going to be the same Jesus came the first time. It's not going to be a different agenda. You know, someone said he came the first time as a, lion, a lamb, but next time he's coming back as a lion. No, when John saw him in Revelation, he was a lion lamb. Look at the lion. And he looked at him and went, oh, it's a lamb slain for the foundation of the earth. The way he is a lion, the way he roars is through his humility, his love, his service, his sacrifice. That's the greatest roar the world has ever heard. It's when Jesus gave his life on the cross as an innocent sacrifice for our sin. The lion roared. And we need to keep echoing that roar and not trying to go back to a time where we're killing people with swords and spears and and thinking that we're going to win the kingdom of God issue. Uh, So, there you go. Is, Is there a last coming of Christ? Yes, I think there is. Yeah. Yep. Verse 31 said that all these things will happen. This generation will not pass away till these things happen. Now, to say that Jesus is saying the generation that sees these things won't pass away is a uh, pretty much a stretch in, in that whole deal. Generation meant the people alive now. You know, if you, if you read the book, book of, of Matthew and you see how Jesus used the word generation, he's talking about the people that are alive now. And he said they wouldn't. And they didn't. 70 A.D. happened and they didn't. So, uh, you know, can it be reduplicated sometime in the future? It can be, but he doesn't say it is. So for us to focus on that is, is to misunderstand. Uh, sometime we'll, uh, if you want to, we'll just take the whole event of 70 A.D. and talk about how did it fit into God's plan. Because it's what launched the church, by the way. It, it, it's, it cut us cut us off of being a remnant of Judaism and made the church its own uh, its own power. So, uh, okay, uh, if I confused you more than I helped you, I'm sorry, and I'm not really sorry. Uh, if, if you are allowing other people to do your biblical work for you and to tell you what to believe about the end time, quit it. Uh, go to the scripture and I dare you to, I dare you to go and just say okay I'm going to let the text and the context tell me what, what the scripture is saying and I won't come at it any more than is possible with a preconceived idea I'll, I'll come and, and see what it is okay any more comments the way we spoke this morning this time was with more passion than I've seen in our discussion because we've been sitting around a table laying out the word for us. This is something you're really passionate about. This particular subject, I can tell, because you seemed to me you came on with a stronger influence. Part of it was I, I had 20 minutes to deal with a three-hour deal. And part of it is I am really, uh, I am upset with, with the conclusion that we are, that we are defeated, that we're victims, that, uh, that we, the best thing we can do is get out of here. I've, I've been fighting that since 1972 when I was a pastor of a Baptist church in 
the Jesus movement and people were saying, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture, the rapture. So I finally said, you know what, I'm not going to let anybody else tell me what prophecy is about. I'm going to go see myself. There's a lot about speculation and different things that I don't get, I don't understand. But I am pretty convinced of this. It's not about getting out of here. It's about he got in here with us. And you're going to get out of here soon enough. It ain't, you know, all of us will be dead in a little while, relatively speaking. So, so I mean, if you're just wanting to get out, uh, I mean, who, who wants to get out? Uh, Jesus came to, to, to let us be his people. He came to let, us, to let us partner with him in the greatest mission that heaven's ever thought about. So why do I want to get out, you know, and to say, well, you know, I don't want my kids to grow up here. I want my kids to grow up here. And I want, them, I want them to have the privilege, if necessary, to die for the Lord Jesus Christ. I'd rather them live for the Christ. For those that teach it um, as it is, and I know, you know it is what it is, but uh, I mean, do you think that, that those people down there on the path to where at that time they could, when it's you know, getting bad or whatever, that it could be a, uh, something that leads people astray or from a relationship with Christ? Well, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. If your if your if your message is, you know, the time is short. Uh, we're going to be snatched out before there's any big trouble coming, and that's how God's going to express His His love to us. I think you're ill preparing people for what what's going to happen. Yeah, that, that, that can lull them into a sense of complacency. Yeah. So it won't continue to fulfill your mission. Yeah. The only motivation, only positive motivation I can see in that is, if I believe that. You know, you try to win as many people to Jesus. But I wasn't told to win people to Jesus. I was told to make disciples. Okay, if, I, if I've only got six months, uh, how, how do you make a disciple? Well, you know, uh, I, don't have time to, I don't have time to come down here and mess with you guys at 12 o'clock on Wednesday. There are people going to hell out here. I need, I need to go out here on the street or whatever. Uh, I don't have time to make disciples. I don't have time to get with you and talk to you about what's going on in your family. I don't have time to help you under, understand how to interpret Scripture. I don't have time to help you understand what your spiritual gifts are. I just don't have time. I, I've got six months, and then the end of the world's coming. Well, that that has been a major emphasis of some. You know, D.L. Moody says, this, this ship's going down, and best thing we can do is uh, get as many in the life rafts as possible. Well, he won a lot of people to the Lord, and I'm grateful for all of, all of that. I just don't think that is a full-orbed view of a gospel eschatology. So, so to kind of recap in a few words, what I think I heard you say. <laughs> okay. Give it a <laughs> shot. Maybe you can do it. To look at the, <laughs> the, the, the rapture view is almost giving a, a false hope. Rather than your hope being in something eternal, in the kingdom of God and in Jesus Christ, your hope is in escaping an uncomfortable time. In yeah. history. Stop looking at what's happening in the world and start looking at what happened in Jesus. Right? Right. Uh, let's stop looking at the shadows and start looking at the substance. Yeah. Uh, and let's get caught up with redeeming and reconciling the world to God. Yeah. And those are two facets rather than the shadows, the types, the nations, and all the other yeah. stuff you can hear up on. You see, I, I believe we have time to still be obedient to the Great Commission. As we go into the whole world, make disciples. I think if if he's given us, if he's revised that commission and said, you know what, you really don't have time for that, uh, I'm coming back 
real soon and, and snatching it all out of here. I think he owes it to us to give us another commission. And, and I'm not ready to stand before the Lord and say, you're not doing your job. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not ready to request that he gives another commission. I think he knew what he was saying when he said, you, you go and you make disciples in all nations and I'll be with you. He didn't mean he just followed along behind. He meant, no, you present the gospel, I'm there. People get to meet me and you can help them get to know me and, and walk with me. Uh, and so until he gets back, until I die, until he gets back, I should be making disciples. However long that takes. I don't have a new commission. Or, sir. I, I think, um, uh, personally, I don't know when God's coming back. We don't know when he is, you know. So why am I going to lose sight of what he's got me doing right now, what he wants me to do, worried about something that I, I may not be here when he comes back. Yeah. So I figured, you know, since I did almost die, persecution that our brothers through all the ages have faced, we're going to be facing it. So it's not something to be feared. It's okay. My yeah. God will be enough in that. Yeah. That which is coming. Because we're going to be hated. We already are. I mean, how many government programs now are anti-Christians? How many movements just in the United States? Then you add ISIS and you know all of that and um, it's, it's a crazy world out there, but it's not a time for discouragement. It's a time to say, ooh, looky there. Come on now. Let's get, to the, let's get out in the work and do the work of Christ. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I would add to that, however, that the confidence that we have to be able to endure persecution should not lead us to passivity of trying to avoid persecution. That's right. Or to push back. Yeah. So if I can, if I can work in my garden to try to prevent persecution, because sure. who wants it? Uh, sure. If I can do that, then then I will. But I'm not expecting God to get me out of here beforehand, because the life He's given to me can endure persecution That's with right. joy, right. with victory. Yeah. That's right. So. I agree. You know, so, so this whole deal of it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse. So just gird up your loins and, you know. Yeah. Uh, it may get worse and worse and worse. Like uh, it, it may be in some cycles. It could get better and could get worse and could get better and could get worse. You know. Uh, yeah. And here's the, here's the deal. 
You know, to think, think about this, to think that we, of all the people who have ever lived, we are the people that are going to end history. There's a little egotism to that. What's so special about us? Yeah, so what's so special about this generation? You are the terminal generation. Oh, really? (laughs) See? We get to be that. You know, a a discreditive thing I've said so far, but I I got a feeling we're going to, you know, everything's going to go on for a good long time. I I, I think, I mean, I think God's got a whole lot to do on this earth that through his people he hadn't done yet. And here's the deal. I don't want it to happen. I pray it doesn't happen. I'm working for it not to happen. But if the United States goes out of business, God won't. His kingdom, his kingdom will still be going. And if my allegiance is first to America and then to Christ, then I'm going to be totally disappointed. But if my allegiance is first to Christ and then to America, then yeah, I'll be I'll be part of that whole deal.